back to the Coaches Rising podcast. In today's conversation, I'm going to be talking with Kimberly Parsons, who works with Corentus as a team coach. And, you know, I've been saying this about systemic coaching, but it's the same, same thing for team coaching. I'm pretty late to the party with getting team coach experts on the podcast. So uh, we're going to be doing more of that. And so I really enjoyed this conversation with Kimberly. We're going to just talk about, I mean, all things team coaching. What does Kimberly and Corentus, uh, what, where do they start when they work with a team? Uh, what kind of um, lenses do they look at teams? What kind of distinctions and models do they offer teams to help them shift from being you know, uh, an okay performing team to a, being a high performing team. And we'll really get into what uh, Kimberly calls like the killer app, like when when uh, they get into live team coaching and, you know, they're able to offer in the moment feedback to a team, you know, like let's do a little timeout. Like this is what I was seeing in this moment. So we'll talk about some of the ways that Kimberly is looking at the team she's with in those moments and what are some of the moves that she makes and what is the role of a coach's um, being, uh, you know, their own presence uh, and how important that is when working with a team. So we're going to cover a lot of different things. Uh, I really hope you enjoy it. As usual, I would love it if you would share this podcast with folk coaching folk who might enjoy it if you would leave a review as well i really appreciate that helps us become more visible and also if you are not on our mailing list and you would like to keep in the loop about the things we create that are not this podcast then you can you can head to coachesrising.com scroll down the page there put your name in the sign up box and join our ever growing global community of i think amazing coaches who would just dedicated to the craft and the art of this work. So uh, good to be with you today, Kimberly. How's things with you? It's going well. Um, it's starting to heat up. I'm in Richmond, Virginia, so it gets hot in the summertime. So things are starting to heat up, but it's good because we can get outside, go out. Um, so all is well. Thank you for asking. Yeah, we're just recording this at the time when, and at least in the Netherlands, where they just announced that the lockdown's going to end next week, which kind of freaked me out. You know, I was like, <laughs> after a year and a half or something, I was enjoying the the freedoms that we'd just gotten, and now it's full on. So yeah, that's that's um, what's going on. Um, we're going to talk about team coaching today, and I just was saying to you before we kind of went live that we're a bit late to the party with team coaching and systemic coaching and things, but um, yeah, that's the, that's the work you do. And so we'll, we'll just kind of spend some good time unpacking that. How does that sound? That's great. And welcome to the party. We've been in this for a while. Um, and I've been personally like following this trail, this journey for a while, for at least 15 years, I've been on the path to going towards team coaching. So welcome to the party. Thanks. Yeah. And you work for Corinthus. So maybe we, actually that's a good place to start and just give us a, in a nutshell, what Corinthus does. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Corinthus is a coaching and consulting firm where we really focus in, we're like all in on team effectiveness at this point. Um, so about 2014, 2015, our founder and CEO, Alexander Kaye, um, really saw like the, the tide turning towards 
team. That is where um, it's going to be, team effectiveness. And so really shifted our firm to focus in there. And um, one of the things I love about this firm that has drawn me to Alexander, as well as to Corinthus, is the belief that teams are really about this mix of the heart and results and being able to bring that together for people really creates um, this dynamic thing that happens within teams. And so that's really where we come from when we do this work is this mixture of how do you bring the heart, the people um, into development of performance and results as well. Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, I imagine maybe in teams you see focus on one or the other and that's where things can go wrong. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, well, I'm sure we'll get into into that more. I mean, I'm just wondering um, where you start when you work with a team. And I know that might sound like a bit of a, an odd question in a way because it could, probably depends a lot on who the team is and stuff. But do you find that, you know, at Corentus and the work you do, you, that you have a particular place you often start working with the team? That is a great question. Um, <laughs> and I'm taking a moment to pause because like it is all over, right? In terms of where we start. So um, I will say um, like three things, if it's okay, if I share like three things to the way Go that ahead, we yeah. approach working with teams, because we can, people are entering into um, their requests with us from all different places. And so Joel, we really start with um, one, the first foundational thing is really being able to diagnose what is happening with the team. And to do that, we use a mix of frameworks. And that's one of the things that we are really, um, we teach our practitioners about is using frameworks. And those frameworks really provide a map um, for what I like to say good teaming looks like. And it provides a North Star that you can then develop team tor teams toward, right? Um, so three frameworks we use. One is the Corinthians team will, and the team will really has like the, different dimensions um, that make for a team. So for example, the dimensions in our team will are going to be um, having a common purpose and shared goals, right? So that's one of the things that we're trying to diagnose with this team that has approached us. Um, is there clarity in roles and competencies within a team? That's another dimension. Um, collaboration, and for us really, collaboration consists of how teams work together from the results and the relationship perspective. So task and relationship, and then mutual accountability. So those are, that's one of our frameworks that we use, and it helps us to then be able to help to support our teams, the clients that are coming to us to say, you know, where are you strong? Where are your strengths? Where are your opportunities? Where are your gaps? Now, oftentimes, right, you know, the clients will come and just say, hey, the roof is on fire. Mm. <laughs> and then we have to help them figure out, like, what that means, right? Um, what's the opportunity, as well as what are their strengths. And there are other frameworks that we also use to really help teams to understand what's going on, right, to diagnose where they are. And then once we really take teams through that diagnosis using those frameworks, um, then we move into selection, right? And one of the things that we really believe in our work is that you allow the teams to be able to tell you right, where they want to work. 
um, what is their focus area, if you will. And so again, teams will come, they will oftentimes have an idea of why they're coming to you, but then through this process of interviewing people, talking to everyone on the team, talking to the HR sponsor that's coming, we really create that picture based on those frameworks. Um, and then we present that back to the team and say, hey, this is what you said. These are your strengths. These are your opportunities. Where do you wanna work? What's gonna be most valuable for you in your work with us? Um, and then, so once the team selects that focus area, then the second thing um, comes into play for us, which is having tools. Um, and so at Corentis, we have um, spent 25 years developing a toolkit of proven tools that are pragmatic, that seem simple on the surface. But what we found is that teams, they need to know how to team. <laughs> and the tools really help them do that. For example, we have a decision-making tool, right? And one would think, you know, we know how to make decisions, but once we go through the tool, if that's their focus area and really explain that to them, they're like, wow, there's so much skill in this. And if we can implement these simple pragmatic things, it actually increases our performance, our effectiveness, the way that we are working together and collaborating, right? So we have a toolkit that we then will match the tools back to the focus area for the team, where, where they will find the most value in working together. Um, and then Joel, like our third um, thing that I will say that really underscores how we work with teams is then being able to come up with what is the right team development solution that is going to be custom fit, tailor fit to that team. Now we, um, and our solutions, we are clear about four distinctions, um, four ways in which we work, could work with teams. The first way being consulting, right? And consulting teams come to us. They just want us to give them advice, give them recommendations, give them guidance. We can do that. Um, mm -hmm. The second modality that we can use with teams is really around training. Um, so we do a lot of training and really in the space of helping teams to um, become more equipped or skilled up, as I like to say, uh, in teaming tools and teaming techniques that are based in squarely in task and relationship. So we can come in, we can teach teams. The third modality that we use is facilitation. And this is where, you know, oftentimes, and I do a lot of facilitation with teams where we will go in, they will say, this is the thing that we need help in. And through facilitation, I have the pen, I have the marker, I'm directing, I'm flowing. Um, the traffic with the team to be able to get to the result, the outcome that they want. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, um, our cornerstone at Corentis, um, what we're really known for is team coaching. Mm -hmm. And in this team coaching modality, this is where at Corentis, our process is really to work in real time with the team. So we're not doing simulations. We're not off in a classroom. We actually come into their real work and in real time, we make moves, we sense, we observe, um, we do our interventions within a team um, through team coaching. Now, one of the things about team coaching is we really say like, this is the, um, this is like the killer app, <laughs> team coaching, because we are there, we're in the moment. Um, and really our aim in team coaching is to be able to help teams to pause. I like to say pause, um, stop the film if you're a sports fan, 
be able to observe yourself in action, see what just happened within a team, give the team enough space to be able to do that. Um, so that self-observation is one of the capacities that we're building through team coaching. And once the team is able to pause long enough to observe itself in its focus area again, um, then that creates self-awareness for the team. So you start to get members who are becoming more aware of, oh, if I'm just using decision-making, that's how we're uh, spinning in this decision. What's happening there? What do you mm -hmm. see? What do I see? So it creates that self-awareness for the team. And then once the team actually has like that self-awareness, then they're able to self-regulate, right? So part of our, one of our coaching moves might be, well, what do you want to do about that? Mm. What's going to be most impactful for you right now? <laughs> right? So simple moves, but sometimes, oftentimes, this is like the first time where the team is actually paused in process and play long enough to observe themselves, become more aware, and then be able to self-regulate. And then, Joel, what we found, or our hope, right, with team coaching is that because we're coming back over and over again, we're coaching over a period of time, we're helping a team to stay focused on their focus areas, right? We're really calling it out. We're equipping them with skills, with teaming skills, that over that period of time, the team will then be able to self-sustain, right, their behaviors. So yeah. team coaching, we, again, killer app, right? It really is the power move that enables teams to be able to self-observe, become more self-aware, then um, self-regulate so that they can then sustain, self-sustain those behaviors. I just said a lot. I'm going to pause there. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say like, boom, that's, that's, that's awesome. There was so much in what you just said there. Um, and I definitely want to come back to team coaching. You know, what you did, did the last thing you just brought up and but it sounds like that, you know, there's a lot of um, distinctions you're offering and, and this diagnosing that you're talking about. I'm imagining like a lot of people, when they think of team coaching, you go immediately into thinking about the, what are the relationships between the team and trust and everything like that. But actually what you're saying is, no, that's much more comprehensive. We were not going there immediately. We're actually off, you know, we're looking for like, um, really what's going on. And we're offering a lot of distinctions that I imagine are already going to start to empower a team a lot before you even get to this point of, you know, doing the killer app, like the team coaching. Is that, am I getting that right? Absolutely. Exactly. And two things that you're calling out. One thing that we find when we're doing this diagnosis, right? Um, and our protocol, like our process is we actually use an interview protocol that's based on those frameworks that I talked about. And what we have found is that just by going through the interviews with the team members and asking the questions that are in all of these different areas of teaming, they start to uh, have a greater appreciation for what it means, like all the facets of what could make for um, good teaming within their team, right? They start to, um, before we, we even started, like our, our solution with them, they start to start using the language together. Like, oh, well, that's that thing. Oh, that's accountability. Oh, we need role clarity here. Like they automatically like start to generate um, like this awareness together of how they are teaming. And that's just through the interviews that we're doing with them. So that's one thing. Yes, absolutely. You're spot on. And then the second thing that I would call out based on what you just said is that we often will have teams that come to us and they're like, trust is here. It's not safe. We need you to work with the relationships. Well, our approach at Corinthians is 
we actually believe in starting with task first. And we think that, we believe that because over our years of experience, what we have found is that if you start with the team and task first, you help the team to get to a result, right? If they've been struggling to get to a result, you help them get to a result, help them to start to see um, increases in how they perform that actually gets points on the board, right? right? And if we can work together, deliver together and start to you know, move, then that actually will bring up um, the relationship piece and makes it easier to go into the relationships. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, no, it does. I mean, just thinking about our team, I can imagine that actually that will, uh, some of the things that you're going are a problem actually will drop away and reveal the true issues because you're actually just getting stuff done. And yeah. so that's, yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, sense. for practitioners, being a coach <laughs> by trade, right? I'm always like, ooh, the juicy stuff. Like, let's go in, like conflict, communication, trust. Yes, let's go there. <laughs> um, but again, our experience shows, right? Calm that down, Kimberly, calm that down and really help the team to start to get some points on the board because then that will um, make it easier. Um, as you say, reduce the noise from some of the relationship piece, as well as make it easier to get into the relationship side of it as you continue to work with the team. I'd, I'd love to uh, ask you about what you're looking for when you're in, when you're in the team coaching part, you know, and so we might bring in examples if you have them, but so again, I get that, um, you know, it's broad, you know, it could be all kinds of different things, depending on why the team's here, how they've self-diagnosed themselves, what they want to work on. But, um, you know, when you're in that room with the team and they're working together, what, what, how are you looking at the team? Like what, what kind of things are you looking for? And then we can talk about interventions and things, but yeah. 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 Good. So, um, great question. So at Corentis, um, we use and we teach practitioners who study with us um, a team coaching model that really has three parts to it. One is sensing, one is making moves, and then at the mm -hmm. core of the model is being. So you're sensing, making moves, and then coach in the middle, um, managing their state of being while they're doing this work. And then um, when we are in the sensing part of our model, that is really us sitting back, being quiet. We're observing. We're noticing what's happening. We're looking, right? We're starting to collect what we call patterns, right? We're starting to notice what are the patterns that, are, that exist within the team? What are the outcomes that the team is demonstrating achieving or not achieving? And what might be the norms that's underneath what's happening, right? What, what are the beliefs? What are the assumptions um, that are going on underneath what's happening? So if I give you an example, we've been using decision-making, so I'll say that, I'll use that one, right? Um, one pattern I might be sensing in this team, and I'm using sensing charts, we, we use sensing charts. So one pattern that I might be noticing around decision-making is every time they get close to a decision, they back away decision avoidance, or um, no one is actually saying what their decision is. <laughs> um, or um, another pattern that we see often is um, people don't even know what the decision is. 
and they don't know what the decision mode is. So how are we actually making this decision? Is this a consensus decision? Is the leader going to make the final call so it's an authority decision? So again, creating more distinctions. Um, outcomes that I might be sensing, no decisions getting made. <laughs> or an outcome that I notice every time with this team, they say one thing in the meeting and then when they come back, the decision has changed, right? So that might be an outcome because I'm coming back over and over, right? I start to see these things emerge, right? Norms that might be underneath, beliefs that may be underneath, right? Is um, the leader's just gonna make the decision anyway, so my voice doesn't matter, right? So the iceberg model, the norms are gonna be those assumptions, beliefs that's driving the patterns, that's driving the outcomes within the team. So as team coach, I'm sensing, I'm observing these things. I'm starting to take note using different sensing tools that you could use. And then once I um, am ready to make a move, so sensing, making moves. So when I start to make my moves within the team, that's really where I'm going to do ask tell um, types of moves that are based on the data that I've sensed for. And I like to say data and also remind people that that also includes intuition because sometimes I may not have the word completely formed, but I'm sensing something that's happening. So I might make a move based on intuition. Um, and then the moves that we make, you know, our intent is to be really neutral, to be able to offer up what we've seen. And then much like an individual coaching, really allow the team to be able to work with that. And this gets into the self-observation and the self-awareness, right? Here's what I've noticed. Um, in the past 15 minutes, you all have um, been talking about this decision and have not reached or have not anyone, no one has voiced like their perspective and the leader has asked five times. Totally just made that up on the fly, right? <laughs> and so I would offer that up in a neutral way. And the team would then, you know, my, my follow on question with telling them the data might be, what do you make of that? Well, what does that mean, right? And then just giving a team the space to be able to then talk about that, reflect on it. What does that mean? Why are we doing that, right? All types of things may come up with that. Um, and then another uh, distinction around making moves is that we're really targeted as to who we make moves with. Um, so within the team, we often will make moves with the leader first. Mm. And by making moves with the leader first, that creates, you know, the vulnerability, the trust They're Oh, okay. This is what we're doing. Right. So we really, you asked what is one of the things we look for with team coaching. We really look for a leader who is going to be willing to play. If we don't have a leader who's willing to play team coaching is not going to be the modality that we offer as part of the solution. Right. Right. And then we might make moves with other people in the team, make moves with the whole team. Um, less so make moves with subgroups, less so make moves with individuals who are not the leader. So there are all types of ways that we can make moves with the team. And then just to finish the model yeah, of sensing, sure. making moves and being, then at the center of this model is really being. Um, and again, when we're working with practitioners, we always say being is at the core of the model because you're doing some, um, this work is really demanding. It's like the high wire act. <laughs> um, and when I learned this, the CEO of our firm, actually, um, I became exposed to team coaching through uh, a course that he was teaching. And one of the things that hooked me, he said, team coaching is the X games of coaching. You're in the midst of seven, eight, nine, 10 people, all who are bringing their own thing. 
you're in this group, you're in the system, you're sensing, there's so many things that are happening with it within the team, there's collaboration, there's communication, there's power, there are dynamics, right? Um, and you have to make sure that you are able to manage yourself, be present with the team. You might make a move that doesn't land. <laughs> you have to be able to, you know, recover from your heart beating really fast and get in the game, get back in the game. So being is so important. It's so important to do the work of being able to maintain your sense of presence and get back to center when you find yourself um, out of center. I'll pause there. Yeah, the, I made quite a few notes, but I want to first pick up on this topic of being, uh, because I, I I see you know around the world these communities of practice now that are gathering around a kind of like relational beingness, relational meditation almost together, you know, really like kind of connoisseurs of the phenomenological interpersonal experience, and so. Um, I'm just curious. Yeah. I, so, so I love hearing you talk about this and um, I'm, I'm imagining that for you as a practitioner, that's meant that you've had to like build your capacity both for um, you know, you said intuition before, like both for kind of like sensing what's going on in the room below perhaps even the, the surface uh, mm -hmm. conversation but also your capacity to to kind of remain in the experiential intensity of of the collective is that is that right? Yes, yes. Um, you know, I that that is why this work is like so important of being able to work on yourself and managing yourself when you're in this. Um, and I uh, personally have done a lot of uh, breathing work. I'm not sure if you're familiar with heart math. Um, the HeartMath Institute, but I've done a lot of work and I was introduced to that again by Alexander, um, our CEO, uh, of really being able to find center, breathe, pause, reframe, connect with my heart in the moment. And I have found that like so useful um, as a practice. And, you know, I, what I'm finding is that it doesn't matter the number of teams that I've worked with. It doesn't matter how long I've been doing this work. My heart starts beating every time I'm about to make a move with the team. My heart beats every time when I drop the question on the table and I sit back, right? Because this work really requires team coaching in a way that we do it really requires you to be able to drop that question and move back and let the team do it. Let the team deal with it. Let the team, and that, you know, um, I love facilitation. And so for me, like, that's one thing I'm managing. I'm like, let the team do it. I want to take the pen. I want to say, you know, do you want to do this? How do you do this? But right, it's really sit back. And that requires composure, right, to be able to do that. Um, another element why being is so important is this modality of team coaching, it can look and feel very different to a team because I might be in an hour meeting and I only make one move. I only speak up once. Right, so how am I sitting and holding the space for this team and being able to do that and not letting my ego, am I gonna add value? What are they gonna think about me? So all of this is happening in my head, right? I haven't said anything, like I'm taking a lot of notes. What are they thinking about me, right? So it's, it's pulling. Yeah. So that sense of being is so important in this work. Do you find, uh, just staying on this topic, do you find you almost access kind of its flow states, but, you know, you can become so well attuned to what's coming on that 
um, you know, that, that you, that it kind of brings out almost like that flow state of like being fully present and flowing and, and, um, you know, alive, like attuned with what's emerging in the space. Yeah. Yeah. I have found that. And, um, you know, I find, uh, at least what's true for me is the longer I work with a team, the more comfortable I become. And the more, again, I start to see their nuances, um, the more they actually, um, it's almost like I don't become a part of the team, but I'm accepted right into the tribe. And so I become so familiar with the players and they become so familiar with like me and how I'm going to make moves that it's almost like we're playing off of each other. Does that make sense what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes it so easy. Like, you know, I have one client who um, I'm currently working with her team and she'll just look at me on camera she'll just like look over at me and she's like I know you have something to say and I'm like yep I do let me make a move let me ask you this question right and so it becomes like really natural um in the work with the team right yeah nice uh I, I want to come back to what you said about the the kind of beliefs and assumptions in a team and um do you find that there's you know it's um, individuals in the team that hold those beliefs and assumptions or that even a, a group can start to collectively hold, you know, assumptions and norms about the way they do things. And um, I'd love to ask you about whether you find that there, you know, there's, there's like almost like the systemic, um, how can I put it like that, you know, we found in our team that like sometimes there's these interpersonal uh, conflicts but actually, when you like step back, it's like each person's voicing something in the system uh, that's quite valid, you know. And so it's yeah. So let me backtrack and say, do you do you find like those uh, beliefs and norms are, are like very personal or that, that they can be formed as a group as well? Like it's a collective assumption about the way the team works. Um, the answer is yes <laughs> to all of those. So, um, you know, people are coming with their own individual thoughts about how things should be, um, their own uh, assumptions, beliefs about how the team should operate, how they should show up, what should happen. Um, and then we also find that teams start to collectively form um, these norms, um, as we call them, patterns, outcomes, and then the norms are underneath the surface. Um, so teams will collectively form these norms together based off of, you know, how they are um, behaving, right? What gets uh, ingrained, if you will, in the DNA of how that team operates. And then you're also pointing to um, the ecosystem that they operate within. That also brings a set of norms um, to the table that the team has to contend with. And so when you start to, um, in team coaching, get into that place of norms, like, um, just like with our individual clients, right? I think that is, you know, when you can um, decode, help the team to decode the norm that's underneath um, the system for them, then they are able to choose a different norm, right? Choose a different belief, mm -hmm. right? What needs to happen or what, what do you need to believe in order for this behavior mm -hmm. to be your the norm, to be, to be your, your pattern, right? right. To be true. That's when you really start, you know, helping the team to figure out um, like what's going to be that power move for them. Because it's, uh, yeah, I don't know if you have an example of that, but I find that fascinating. I'm almost thinking of like 
you know, when um, some an individual client might sort of see their current way of being and then, you know, uh, begin to articulate what's emerging for them about who they want to be and what they want to embody in the world. And I'm just wondering if that similar kind of thing might happen with a team, like they might, you know, see, see their norms and see where that might be dysfunctional. And then that might point to, you know, a kind of like a metaphor or a, a way of being together that that's, you know, incredibly enlivening and, and catalyzes their own performance. Mm-hmm. So let me um, pause and think of an example. So um, I'm going to make this up. I'm not making it up. I'm going to give you an example from a team. I'm going to talk, talk it through. So I'm working with the team right now. And one of the challenges that they have really identified as a frustration and almost pain, painful <laughs> point for the team is how effective um, they are in their meetings. Their meetings are a place of dread for this team. Um, which is, you know, unfortunate. It's a very senior team. Um, but the place um, that they have identified for themselves as their focus area is really around, like, we have to become more effective in how we meet, what we are talking about, how we're engaging, what is the scope of work that we're talking about when we come together, even how our meetings are structured, right? Um, and so there, there's a lot there that we're working with this particular team on, um, But one of the things I have a suspicion, right, that is a norm is that uh, when we come together, this is a waste of our time. Now, I'm not sure. I just started working, but that's a hypothesis that I have. And it could be, right, one of the things that could be a norm for this team. And the thing about norms, right, it's our best guess. The team really knows, right? Um, So I have a hypothesis that it's a waste of time when we come together might be a norm. Now, once I can, as I continue to work with this team, once we are able to like start to dig underneath the surface of what that is, let's say that that is true. It's a waste of time when we come together. Then what, what could you believe, right? In place of that, what would be more powerful for you to believe? Well, <laughs> reframe it. When we come together, um, one person on this team actually said, we want this to be the can't miss event out of all of our day, right? So if I'm just using that person's language, that could be the norm. This is our can't miss event. We get so much joy. We get so much value. We get so much pleasure from being in this meeting, right? So great, new norm. Then what does that look like in terms of your behaviors, your actions, your ways of working together, right? That's getting at that pattern level. Right. And then what will be the outcomes that you start to get, right? Based off of those new patterns, because this is the can't miss event, you all are getting so much pleasure and joy. Am I yeah. making sense? Yeah, no, it does. No, it's a great example. And what I what it brings up is like, then do you think that, um, you know, like, so do you, you, you identify like uh, perhaps uh, we come together and it's a waste of time and then you, you share that with people. So like, you know, the one thing is, the, the awareness of that, which can be, can, could be all it needs. Yeah. But do you think then there might be like, 
you know, some kind of, I don't know what it might be like the, the it's, they need to do some kind of integration work in order to let go of that. Like something might be, they're holding on to something that has them have that feeling that this is a waste of time, you know, does oh, that make absolutely. sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there are so many tentacles that are coming out of this, right? And um, part of our process, like we're we're in with the team for six months, nine months, twelve months. We've contracted to come in and do this work in this space, and so it it takes time to unpack. Uh, it takes time to reintegrate, um, integrate, reintegrate. It takes time to help the teams um, keep coming back to and practicing new ways of being. Uh, new behaviors, new patterns, new outcomes, right? Um, new norms. And part of our work as coach is we're not only we're not only pointing out or bringing up opportunities for the team um, to look at gaps, challenges they're having. We're also there in our moves that we make to point out uh, productive things, right? What just happened? Mm-hmm. I just noticed something. What did you notice shift? in the conversation and the dialogue and the decision-making and the results, right? What did you notice? How do you wanna make sure you um, institutionalize that within the team? What do you need to do differently? How are you gonna make sure you remember that, right? So we're making moves to help them see and shift and then also notice when they are shifting so that they can keep repeating and practicing that until it becomes second nature for them. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, no, it, I do. I get it. And um, then it sounds very robust, you know, that it's like, and I, I like that sense of um, in the moment feedback, because, you know, I've done um, in the past, I used to do quite a bit of uh, role playing, you get a senior team in, and then you'd, ha- you'd have this scenario, like a business scenario, and then people would start role playing. And it was, it was mostly learning about how to, um, you know, emotional intelligence and influence and, um, but it was incredible what would come out of that. Cause you could do these little pauses, time out, and then, mm-hmm. you know, it'd be like, okay, you know, um, give someone direct feedback on the way they were showing up as they were talking to somebody. So it's very potent, isn't it? You know, that yeah. you're getting in the moment and then that's what creates the, um, yeah, the, 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 the kind of insight or the awareness yeah, that's embodied as well. Yeah, yeah. And that, um, again, killer app, right? That's one of the things that makes team coaching so powerful is because you are in the real work with the team. You're making these moves real time. Now, the one thing I will say is that with our um, approach to working with teams, right, we might bring in the other modalities, right? So once we've um, helped the team to identify their their focus areas to select those, um, we will put together a team development plan with with them and say, okay, well, based on what you wanted to learn um, or where you wanted to focus and grow as a team, you know, we're going to say with this focus area, we'll do a training and then we'll do maybe a facilitated something or other with the team and then we'll do the team coaching. So we're really bringing in these different modalities Um, But team coaching, when we are in a team coaching seat, is then where we really can then say, you know, we're making those moves, we're sensing and observing um, what's happening and being able to serve that back up to the team neutrally so they can see themselves. Um, When we're team coaching, we might make a move to, um, as I say, I'm going to put on my teach hat for a moment right, and teach them a micro skill that they need in that focus area. I'm going to take off my T-chat and move back to team coaching now. What would you like to do with this? 
right? And then in a moment, they may choose to actually implement something that you just taught them in terms of how to do something, right? How to interact um, more effectively. So there's a lot of um, team coaching really can be robust. And as you just pointed out, like part of the beauty is it's happening in the moment with the team. Right. What makes me think of like what common moves that we might not have named that you find yourself doing or or micro practices do you find yourself uh, or micro teachings do you find yourself offering to teams like yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's like um I haven't actually done this but um we should put together like a top 10 list of top 10 favorites that uh, show up in teams because we, we do have a few that show up over and over within teams Um, So off the top of my head, decision-making, right? Um, Getting clear, the team getting clear around decision-making. What are the distinctions there? Um, What kind of modes are we using? Who has the decision rights? Like that creates so much churn um, and inefficiency within teams, decision-making does. Um, So that's one of our top favorites um, that we do. Do you you mean by like modes? Is that like consensus-based? you know, like the leader make, you know, a, a hierarchical model or like everybody can make a decision. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, so decision modes, as we teach them in our in our decision making tool, um, is democracy, uh, consensus, um, authority, and democracy, consensus, authority, unanimity, right? So unanimity, thinking about everyone has to be in agreement. Um, And so as a part of that too, we also will teach a team that's your primary mode, what's your secondary mode, right? So what happens if consensus stalls out? And maybe you've experienced this before with teams, right? It's like, we can't reach consensus and then the decision just dies, like it stalls, right? So then we also teach, we'll come up with your secondary mode um, and figure out what these decision modes and who has the different rights within it, who's gonna be a part of consensus, get clear about that. Right, so we go through all of these distinctions on on this tool around decision making. So we go all the way back to where I started. Right, teams need tools to know how to team, <laughs> um, and by giving them this skill set, right, they become more efficient. Decision making get, can get quicker. Right, um, knowing what the decision rights are, who's involved, am I involved? When do I come in? Is it just my voice or do I actually get a vote? Like when you help a team to get really clear about these types of things, it can um, actually improve. Like they become more effective. It can uh, decrease the drag that exists on the team, the dread that might be there around making decisions. Right, yeah. Uh, So decision-making is a top favorite. Um, yeah are there any any others that come that you find yeah this is just like a lot of teams seem to be struggling with this thing we offer this move a lot um yeah so one that we see we work with uh at Corentis we work with a lot of senior teams um so one of the things that we really see more so at the senior leadership level is this concept of reference group. Who, whose team do I have allegiance to? Is it the vertical that I lead? Or is it, you know, the VP, the senior VP team that I'm on? Is it the horizontal team that I'm on? And there is this tension 
that exist between which of those teams I have allegiance to. Is it to my vertical or is it to this horizontal team? Um, that tension is one that we see in our coaching too with these senior lead, um, leadership teams that we're working with, right? And some of the things, for example, the, the tentacles that come out of this tension, um, enterprise mindset, do I have an enterprise mindset or am I really in it for my vertical? Am I coming to my, my senior leadership team advocating and challenging only for my vertical? Or am I coming to my senior leadership team as my first team um, and then really thinking more about how can we all be successful? Where do resources need to go across all of our teams? What are our shared goals, our shared purpose? And then how does that drive my vertical? So that is definitely like in the top list for a senior team. Um, do, do you, that's fascinating to me. Do you, um, again, like what comes up for me is there's the distinctions you can offer um, that can I, I can imagine automatically then open up uh, possibilities for people to take new actions. But I imagine then there's that place where individual coaching might come in where somebody might have, you know, a kind of developmental challenge around uh, the way that they um, preference, you know, their vertical team with the horizontal uh, team and the different um, you know, needs and, and kind of pressures there. Yeah, I can imagine some of it is like, even with the distinction, they're like, yeah, it's just still a huge challenge. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So there is, um, so I, I think uh, one thing I will say is that in our, um, in our approach, in Corinthus's approach to team coaching, we have a one-on-one coaching relationship with the leader as well. So we're coaching a team, and then we also have a one-on-one coaching relationship with the leader, um, and we're really coaching the leader. We're there in support of the leader as they relate to the team. Um, we might also have other uh, coaches that are working with us that are coaching individual members of the team. So there is... Um, you can integrate one-on-one coaching throughout all right. of this. Now to the specific thing that you just raised, you know, I think there really becomes, you know, for all of us, you know, what's my individual stance on this? Where am I? You know, what do I think? Where are my, my personal challenges with this? Um, and then collectively as a team, what do we need to do? What needs to be different for us? And so I think when you have, um, you know, when we're doing a team coaching, we're really working at that team level, right? And so yeah. what needs to be different? How are you going to hold the space if we're just thinking about enterprise mindset example? You know, what's the one or two things practically that you as a team will do differently and how you behave and interact with one another? Uh, whatever decision mode they used, right? This is what we're going to agree to. Now, uh, just playing out your example. Now, if you have someone who really, truly, like just doesn't want to do that thing, then yes, maybe there's some one-on-one coaching that needs to happen. Or because we also have that coaching relationship with the leader, right? Our work might be in coaching the leader to really work with that person. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. As you speak, I kind of think about something I've been thinking about more, which is, um, I'll try and articulate it, which is like in the West, you know, we've actually placed a lot of our identity uh, in the individual, you know, like we're, I'm Joel and I'm in, an individual and I want to pursue my, you know, my um, self-actualization journey. And, but I think in a lot of other, other cultures, actually 
people find their real identity through being in relationship and being in the collective, you know, and uh, um, I'm sharing that because I actually, I wonder how, um, if we've overemphasized being an individual and also overemphasized the importance of one-on-one coaching, you know, that, um, that a person can just get one-on-one coaching and then go back into their organization and, uh, you know, suddenly they're in the culture and the team and it's like they're, they're swamped, you know, with the, the energy of that. So um, this is kind of some musings that come to mind. I don't know if you riff on that or not, but yeah. Yeah, yeah I um, like what you're bringing up causes for me, you know, one of the reasons why I was really drawn to this work. Uh, so my background is in tech. I had 10 years uh, as an IT professional before I had a, what I like to call a hard right turn in my career caused by coaching <laughs> that drew me to this work. Um, and one of the things when I was in tech, which you know is all about like, we have to deliver, we have to deliver together. Like we have to put this out there is that you could have really smart individuals in the room. These people who were brilliant um, at coding, at developing. Um, and then when you put them all in a room together and say, you all have to perform together, it was either joy or it was the hardest thing to do. And so I got really curious early on as like, so what is this thing? What is this thing about um, delivering using agile methodologies in tech? Um, what is this thing that when we bring people together, it becomes so ineffective, it becomes so inefficient, right? Um, although individually, they are brilliant. So what is this thing in team? What is this thing about the system? And I became hungry to really wanna work the system, to wanna work mm -hmm. the system in that team, um, to be able to then see how then that had ripple effects out um, to, the leadership teams that were around these delivery teams that I was working with, like to the um, business groups, the product groups that had to launch this stuff. Like you could just see the ripple effect of when you were really able to get that unit working together well. So for me, like those were my early days of just really being interested and curious about, yes, I get it. One plus one actually equals three when you figure out this teaming aspect of it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm, um, you know, I think about sometimes how uh, the crises we face, you know, so if we think even just on a broader level of, yeah, we, we've got companies with teams inside of them, but uh, on, a, on a collective level, the potential for um, solving some of these crises for, for coming together in, in creative collaboration that could take place and, um, you know, in, in all, all these distinctions you've been making, you know, just from collective purposes and um, decision-making processes, but also, you know, but also in, in um, uh, beingness, you know, like if we're able to uh, come together and, and meet and um, not in, um, to recognize where we might be in conflict, but to be able to attune to that and in a way that um, might kind of catalyze and metabolize that and allow like a greater um, collective to emerge out of the parts. You know, when I think about the, I think particularly in the US, I'm based in Europe, but you know, it's quite polarized. I mean, I think it is all around the world, but the opposite of that, you know, is um, 
us coming together and, and tapping into some kind of collective intelligence, which I think is underutilized, which could be the source of the 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 um, the solutions. I think um, to what we're facing. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's um, it's funny. Like one of the activities that will run um, in facilitation more so um, types of things if you ask people like when was the time when you had the most joy at work most often people will name things that were related to a team that they were working on when I was on this team we did this and we moved mountains right oh and then when I was on this team and then we brought these people together and we came up and we you know figure out this really hard challenge like I think that's that place of when you can help a team to be really effective in how they are performing, when you can really um, have a team to be cohesive, right? Uh, which is another pl place that we play. Like when you can help teams to be more uh, cohesive, more effective, and to really perform and produce those results that they were you know, uh, tasked to, to, to do, like that's that place of joy. That's, you know, where people, they really get that fulfillment within the workplace. And so by doing this work, like I think it helps us to um, hold the space and create the environment for the team to be able to do that. Right, yeah, yeah, no. And, and just thinking about how, I don't know what the statistic is of like people who are disenfranchised with work as well, you know, but it's incredibly high, isn't it? Like. Um, I, I, I just like, I think as we come towards the end of our conversation, I'd love to ask you like, what's, um, what is it that's exciting you, uh, you know, in, in your work right now that might be, um, something you're, you're exploring or like, it could be a new approach to coaching. It could be a new book, even just anything that's kind of like grabbed you more recently. Mm. So one of the things that um, I'm excited about and really curious, and I'm gonna, uh, full transparency, I'm on the start of this journey, is how do we, um, in the work that we do as team coaches, how do we sense for, um, gather the data around diversity and inclusion? Mm -hmm. um, and as I call them, like, what are those markers that we're looking for? So. In our work with practitioners, we teach, you know, different markers that you could look for, different pattern markers. If it's decision-making, here are some markers you could look for that you can start to sense for and observe for. If it's accountability, here are some markers, right, um, that you can sense for and make moves around with the team. And so I'm, I'm really curious about coding those markers for diversity and inclusion within teams. What are the communication patterns that you see, right? What are the, um, what might be the emotional patterns that you see? What are the outcomes that you can actually code for and sense around related to diversity, inclusion, equity, mm -hmm. right? Because um, again, in our model, uh, when we make moves, we try and do it from a place of being neutral so that you can allow the team to then observe, make a meaning out of it and figure out what they want to do with it. And so um, like, that's the space where I'm like, if we can get that coded so that um, as practitioners, we can really go in and see these different markers and then be able to play it back in a way that is neutral, play it back in a way um, that is also safe, like, you know, 
will be in a safe way that the team is able to then deal with it, figure out what they want to do with it, observe it, become more aware of it themselves. Like, I think that's going to be like such a powerful place for us to be. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing I'm really curious about. And I'm on the start of that journey. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what is it about that? Like, what do you see as possible if you're able to do that? Yeah. So, um, you know, as the world is becoming more aware, right, of um, the institutionalization of uh, inequity, of injustice, of um, intolerance, right? What we're seeing in organizations that are just coming to us is what do we do with this, right? How do we move from a place of awareness to action? Because at the end of the day, right, we're, we're trying to help teams to deliver the results that they want to deliver, that they've come together to deliver. So then how do you take the DEI uh, components that you're seeing within teams? How do you help the teams move from awareness to then how do you act upon that? How do we show up differently? Because if you, you know, were to try and figure out the dollar cost, the, the cost to having those things within our teams, right, is impacting the results. It's impacting um, how much potential we're able to actually deliver, right? If I'm disenfranchised, if I feel like my voice doesn't matter within a team, I'm holding back. And I've been there coming out of tech, <laughs> right? I'm right. holding back part of what I have to offer within a team, right? So how do we then help teams be able to show up differently, interact differently, such that it provides that place where everyone is able to really step in um, within their full um, potential to, you know, deliver the results that that team could ultimately be delivering. Um, I just think that, you know, with the world being so hyper aware of this right now, and also like wanting to be in a place of action and doing something different, like, I think that's going to be a great place for us. Um, we have a role in that as team coaches. I, what I like about when you talk about this is it's like I get that collective intelligence piece again. It's like, yeah, if there are disenfranchised voices in that team, then uh, then that's, you're, you know, of course, that's on one level, on a human level, that's not cool. But, and, and, you know, that's a voice that's, that's missing from that team. And so if if everyone's voice can be brought in, then actually, you know, the, the you're enhancing the intelligence of that collective. Uh, that really inspires me because, you know, I do feel sometimes like some of the ways, like if I think about critical race theory, um, it makes some important distinctions, but then it can also almost do the opposite where it's like, it's not coaching. It's not what you're talking about. They're just uh, telling other people how they are and how they're wrong. And then actually that creates more disenfranchised voices in the system. And, you know, yep. so this feels, this feels like a really important um, antidote to some of that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm so there with you like that. And that, um, you know, when I am invited to do work with teams around DE and I, um, that's one of the places that I, I tell them up front, like I'm, a, I'm coming from a place of creating awareness such that you can take action. You can figure out how collectively you will show up differently um, and then being able to help you, you know, then uh, practice that really code that for yourselves as a team and then practice that. What does that look like? Because to me, that is a much more empowering place to enter into this work. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, oh, it feels like, you know, it feels like this is a place where we could bring our conversation to a close. I'd love to 
Well, I'd love to thank you first, Camille. Like, um, yeah, I felt we've just had a really rich conversation and, um, you know, I'm, I'm just appreciating the work you're doing in the world. And I'd love to know a bit more also about where we can find out about Corentis as well. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for having me. Um, this is exciting. As I shared earlier, I'm a fan of Coaches Rising. <laughs> <laughs> I like stock your website. <laughs> this would be so great if I could do this one and this one and this one. So my shopping yeah. cart. Yeah. Um, and uh, if people want to find out more about Corentis and the courses that we offer, um, yes, we serve clients and we also um, really serve practitioners as well who are interested and passionate about working with teams. So you can just come to our website at Corentis.com. Great. All right, then. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a, a heads up again, if you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time. Mm-hmm.